Well, this morning, I, I really, I want to share with you a, a message that I believe God's put on my heart for this morning, but not for you only, but for the church. This is a reminder. Call it a refocus message because it's, it's about what is the church all about? Who are we as the church of Jesus Christ? What is our purpose here on earth? What is our purpose in, in the Millbank area? What is, what is the reason that God has designed us to be together, to be the body of Christ here? And you understand that right now across the state and across the country and around the world, of course, in different time zones, we have people that are all worshiping the same Jesus that we are. They also are a part of the body of Christ. When we get to heaven, there will not be one section that says assemblies of God. There won't be one section that says Lutheran, Presbyterian, Methodist, what you put whatever label you want. I went to a, I went to a cemetery up in North Dakota. It's a true story. Uh, my family, uh, my dad's side, grew up in Elgin, North Dakota. And Elgin, a little town, uh, over on the west side, and uh, we went to the cemeteries in that area because we have so many family members that, that are, are buried there. And uh, went to one cemetery, and I was amazed. As we drove into the cemetery, I looked up, and there was these big gates that kind of segmented the, the cemetery into different areas. And here was one for Assemblies of God. And went over here, and here was one for Lutheran. And here was, we can't even be buried together. I mean, like we got some contagious disease. We all got, got to be separated. It's not that way in heaven. We are the body of Jesus Christ. We are the family of God. He is our head. He's the head of the family. And so what he says goes. And he gives us very clear directives about what the church is supposed to be doing and, and how it's supposed to function. So that's what I want to cover today. And, and I want to start with a, a verse out of the book of Acts, chapter 13, verse 38 and 39. Here's what it says. Therefore, my, my friends, I want you to know that through Jesus, the forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. Through him, everyone who believes is set free from every sin. Can you say amen? amen. I was pretty weak for a bunch of sinners. <laughs> I mean, it's talking about us. It says, through him, through Jesus, everyone who believes is set free from sin. Can you say amen? amen. That's better. We are, we are blessed by God. We didn't earn forgiveness of sins. That's not something that, that, that God gives us uh, because we've earned it. So what is the function of the church? And if I can use a different terminology, what is the commodity of the church? I mean, if you want to fill prescriptions, you go down to the drugstore. If you want to buy groceries, you go to the grocery store. 
If you want hardware, you go to the hardware. You, you get what I'm going. So every one of these places has a specific niche. What is the commodity that the church has to offer? Relationship with God. That's what we promote. You too can have a relationship with a sovereign God. You can know him like he knows you. You can become close with him. You can receive forgiveness of your sins and cleansing from all unrighteousness. So what is the commodity of the church? Very simply, relationship with God. So how does, and you got to hear this question. I put it up on the screen. How does a flawed, defective, messed up human being get into a relationship with a righteous, eternal God? There is a definite contrast there. You, you talk about black and white. It is a stark contrast. How can we have relationship with a holy God? It is only through the supernatural work of God in our lives. You remember your scriptures, it's not of works, lest any man would boast. You can't earn your salvation. You can't earn the right to have a relationship with God. It's something that he comes, he gives to you. Something that breaks the hold of our past and shapes the trajectory of our future. That's the supernatural work of God. I love going to Teen Challenge. I am a great advocate of Teen Challenge. In fact, I'm on the board of the Teen Challenge of the Dakotas down in Brookings, South Dakota. And every time they have a graduation, I, I, I love to hear the testimonies of where guys have come from. And, and, and most of the time, they have bottomed out. I mean, they're standing before a judge and, and the verdict is, either you go to Teen Challenge or we're going to put you in prison. You are a mess. You're a menace. You, there's nothing good coming out of your life right now. So we either have to protect the public from you or see something change in you. And they send them to Teen Challenge. And God, God supernaturally transforms their lives. Uh, nothing excites me more than to hear those stories of transformation. That's, that's wonderful. That's the only way that we become good enough to be in relationship with a righteous God is when he does something in us. And that's what we're talking about when we talk about the born again experience. I know that we don't probably talk about it enough, but you read John chapter 3 again. And you, and you go back to what Jesus said, you must be born again. You were born once of the flesh, but now you need to have a rebirth of your spirit. You need to be born of the spirit. The Bible says that there is another birth that you need. It's that spiritual birth. So how does it all start? How does your spiritual life, your walk with God begin? Because God has a plan for your life. God loves you. Listen to that. God loves you in spite of all of your issues, in spite of all of our issues, God loves us. You need to just kind of let that soak in. 
That is, that is unbelievable statement there. Did you deserve it? Did I deserve it? Absolutely. Posit. No. Absolutely no. But God still loves us. Does God love us for what we've done? No. He loves us in spite of what we've done. That's God's love. It's an issue called sin that we have. Years ago, I read this little, little piece, and I want to share it with you. It's different fields of thought have different ways of expressing the problem of, of sin. So psychology calls it emotional behavior. Philosophy calls it irrational thinking. Humanities calls it human weakness. Biology calls it primitive instinct. History calls it class struggle. Sociology calls it cultural lag. The Bible just says it's sin. It's a simple word. And we don't like to, we like to camouflage it. We like to say, well, I've made mistakes in my life. Yeah. And the Bible calls it sin. There is a, a passage in the Old Testament, in 2 Kings chapter 5. Let me read just one verse here or two. It says this. Now Naaman was commander of the army of the king of Aram. He was a great man in the sight of his master, highly regarded because through him the Lord had given victory to Aram. He was a valiant soldier. But look at those last four words. But he had leprosy. Now leprosy is not a common disease in our day. It's been pretty much eradicated. But leprosy was a, a, a terrible disease. Uh, leprosy would, it would dull the senses of your nerve endings. And Dr. Dave, I, could, I should ask you to give a, a, a detailed description of what leprosy would do. Because I know you could do it a lot better than I can. But it, it, it deadens your nerves so that you can't feel when you stick your hand close to a hot flame. So as a result, you'd burn yourself. You, you wouldn't jerk away because you didn't feel the pain. You would smell the burning flesh. You'd hear the crackling of the skin and you'd realize, oh my goodness. And so as a result, many times lepers, they, they were missing fingers and hands and arms and feet and, and, and it was because of these accidents and they couldn't feel the pain. And leprosy would just slowly, progressively take a person's life until it finally snuffed their life out. Leprosy in the Old Testament was used as a picture of what sin does in someone's life. And it's true. It is that progressive eating away. Now, now, sometimes we think of God as this killjoy because he's telling us, don't do this, don't do this, don't do this. Thinking of the Ten Commandments, you know. You shouldn't do this because... And we don't think of the because. But these commandments, these... These things are guardrails to keep you in a place where you can have a good life. God wants you to get along with other people. So he says, thou shalt not kill. It's a good idea, right? 
I mean, if you want it, if that's your objective, you want to get along with people, don't kill them. If you want to get along with people, don't steal their property. If you want to get along with people, don't lie to them. Don't be deceptive in your dealings with them. And, and you read through these commandments. These are, these are not things that God is saying to, to mankind so that they won't have a good life. He's saying that so that you will have a good life. He wants us to enjoy our lives here on earth. I love John chapter 10, verse 10. This is not my, in my notes, but I have come that you might have life and that you might have it more abundantly. I did a sermon the other day and I gave everyone an Oreo cookie and, and, uh, as an illustration. And I've, I've done this before and I've actually given away the Oreos that are double stuff. And I talk about how you know, everybody has a different way of eating an Oreo cookie, but it represents something. So from now on, I want you to think of the Oreo cookie as, as your life and it's the stuff in the middle that really counts. Okay? You didn't really have anything to do with your birth. It's likely that you won't have anything to do with your death. But it's the stuff in the middle that you do have control over. And God wants you to have a double stuff. He, he wants you to have abundant life. That's his words, not mine. Look it up. If you've got a red letter edition, it's, it, the words are in red. Jesus said, I have come that you might have life and that you might have it more abundantly. It's his words. So he's not trying, he's not, not this ogre standing at, at you know, just, just waiting for you to, to step out of line and then he's just going to nail you. He is a loving father and he wants your life to really mean something, to be significant. Now we've got, we've got some issues because we have all sinned. Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And it says that the wages of our sin, Romans 6.23, the wages of our sin, what we've earned as a result of our disobedience, as a result of our uh, moving away from what God wants us to do, we've earned death, separation from God forever. So it is by God's grace and his mercy that he saves us. Now, let me give you just a, a word lesson. We use sometimes interchangeably the words mercy and grace. But they're, they're two different, really two different themes. If you stand before a judge and you, you were caught speeding and you're standing before him and you're, you're not wanting to pay that big check that they're, they're wanting you to, so you're looking at him and you're saying, judge, have mercy on me. I know I deserve it, but I'm asking you not to punish me, not to give me what I deserve. That's mercy. And God gives mercy. We have all sinned. We've fallen short of the glory of God. We, we've earned death, separation from God as a result of our sins. And we stand before him and we say, oh God, have mercy on me. Don't give me what I deserve. 
And then God takes it one step further. He forgives our sins. That's the mercy part. And then he adds grace to it. And grace is when we receive what we didn't deserve. He wraps his arm around us and he says, you are more than just a slave. You are my child. You are my son. You are my daughter. I receive you into the family. Huge things that, that the scripture talks about. So we have mercy from God. Let me take you to another passage of scripture. It's in Matthew chapter 6. It's one that you're all familiar with. We call it the Lord's Prayer. It's really, some people have, have said it's more of the disciples' prayer because they came to Jesus saying, teach us how to pray. And he gave them this prayer. In fact, why don't we say it together? Can, can you all just, let, let's in unison say it. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive them that trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil for thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever and ever. Amen. And we always stop right there. Okay? But there's more to this passage. Let me call your attention to, to the words that we've just said here. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Now I know that, that some people, you'd say, well, that's just old English. Whatever translation that came out of, you need to update it. Okay. So in some translations it says, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors or those that owe us. They have a, a debt to, to pay us. Or in some translations it says, forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. And that is the heart of the meeting. Trespass, it, it's, it comes from that, that same root word, sin. And sometimes we use that, but, but think about what trespass is. If any of you have been out walking or hiking and you come to this sign that says, no trespassing. And a little skull and crossbones or something, you know, just to intimidate you. No, what, what does that mean? It means don't go beyond this point. You have no business over there. Don't cross this fence line. Don't go beyond this sign, whatever. No, stay away. Now, if we decide to step over the line, we have trespassed. We've gone into a place we shouldn't be. We, we don't belong there. And God sets certain guardrails and he says, don't go there. Don't do that. If you do, you're trespassing. But take it back to this passage here. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. They're connected together. God forgiving us 
is connected to us forgiving others. In fact, let's move on to the next two verses. What does it say? For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. And we all go, "Ah, good, good. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive you. Do you see how inseparable these two are? They are linked together. And we want to live in that place of grace and mercy and receiving forgiveness. Thank you, Jesus, for forgiveness for sins. All of us want that. I was, I was traveling with a guy on a, a plane. Just met him on the, on the plane. I, I get a little bit leery of conversations on a plane because usually two guys sitting together on a plane, well, what, what kind of business are you in? It's one of the first questions. I'm a minister. Okay, and all of a sudden the headphones come on and their book comes out and it's the end of the conversation. This guy was really cool. He, I mean, he was level-headed. He said, you know, I've got a question for you. What is the biggest problem that you see in the church today? And I sat there for a few seconds and, and I just said it out loud without really giving it a lot of contemplation. I said, unforgiveness. And after I said it, and we had more to that conversation, but after I said it, I I realized, do, do you realize the irony of that? Here we are, the church of Jesus Christ. We share the good news, the gospel. What is the good news? Jesus loves you. Jesus will forgive your sins. You can have a relationship with God. You, a sinful person, can have a relationship with a holy God because he will forgive you. That's the gospel. That's the commodity that the church is sharing with our world. It's good news. So then why is it that I see, and I'm not picking on you, I'm just saying... Why is it that I see in the church unforgiveness constantly? My dad pastored uh, for many years. He grew up in a pastor's home. One of the transitions that we made, we went to a church in Iowa, and I won't tell you the name. Uh, In fact, there's no assembly church there anymore. It folded up, closed up. With good reason. When he went there, he didn't realize it. But there had been a major split in that church. And there were, it was the old, uh, you know, straight building with this section and this section. And they were so divided, they wouldn't sit together. So this group over here was, was of one persuasion. And this group over here, I don't know what the issue was. I wasn't old enough to realize any of that. But uh, I do know that my dad met with the board early on, and he says, guys, because the board was split, he says, guys, um, I'm not going to waste my ministry here. I mean, they were so divided, at the end of the service, half of them would kind of turn to the wall and talk to each other, while the other half would exit because they didn't want to meet in the center. It's a mess. That is not, hear me, that is not the body of Christ. 
He stayed there six months and packed up and we moved to Minnesota where he pretty much finished out his ministry years. Um, what a tragic story. But, but forgiveness, that, that willingness to say, I forgive you. Another scripture, Mark eleven twenty five says this. But when you are praying, and this is referring to prayer times, these are believers, when you're praying, first, forgive anyone you are holding a grudge against. Why? So that your Father in heaven will forgive your sins too. You know the picture I get in my mind? I get, I get in my, my mind a picture of a plugged up drain pipe. Now, you know, we're in the springtime. Just a couple weeks ago, we had snow on the roofs. And uh, the snow started thawing, especially when the rain started coming down. This is in Sioux Falls. I don't know if you had the rain here, but well, we, got, we got rain, heavy rain. And all of a sudden, at my office, the eaves started overflowing. The, the, the drains were plugged. And nobody had cleaned out any leaves in the fall, so all the leaves now were wet, soaked, partially frozen in there. And all of this rain coming on top, melting the snow, this much snow on the roof, melting that. And it just, it was too much. It couldn't flow. So I got up there with a ladder and cold water, bare hands, and, and scooping out clumps of well, you know what it's like. It's just muck. It's, it's almost like mud with a little bit of a texture to it. Those the leaves are disintegrating and you're, you're taking this out. Sometimes I, I see that image when I think of people holding on to unforgiveness. They plug the pipe so God can't forgive them. Why would you want to do that? Unless you're perfect, that'd be unlike me. I need to have that, that passageway cleared out so that God can forgive me of my sins. If I hold on to unforgiveness, you, am, am I getting this through? If I hold on to unforgiveness, I am keeping God's forgiveness from coming to me. That's dangerous. That's no place we want to be. So what happens when we don't forgive? Just three things. One, we block God from forgiving us. I've already covered that. Two, we allow bitterness to take root. There's, in Hebrews, it talks about that, that root that, that can, can form in us, and it starts to grow. And it becomes something that not only affects us, but affects everyone around us. We, we, we take on an odor. We become putrefied with, with that unforgiveness. We're not letting go of it. And third, our attitude becomes toxic. And people just start wanting, wanting to stay away from us. Because that has affected our spirit. It's changed who we are. Sometimes it's not even that you were offended or you were wronged. It's that someone near you was offended. And you can pick up that offense from them. 
there's a verse in Proverbs, and I can't remember the exact reference, but it says, it says, he who picks up another man's offense, I might be paraphrasing it slightly, is like the man who picks up a dog by the ears. Now, just visualize this. I always, I always visualize something like a Doberman, you know. You, you're petting that Doberman. You grab all of his ears and you lift them off the ground. Now, the next thing you do is very wrong. <laughs> if you let go, he's, he's going to eat you up. If you hold on, he's just going to get madder and madder and you're going to get weaker and weaker. And finally, I mean, it's not a pretty picture. Picking up someone's offense is like that. It doesn't do you any good. Don't do it. Let it go. Okay, can, can I channel uh, Frozen? Let it go. <laughs> yeah, that was a free one. So forgiveness is releasing someone from a moral debt that they owe you. You're releasing them. There's three steps to forgiveness, real quick. First of all, you surrender your right to get even. There is a theme, and you watch it in, in Hollywood movies and, and uh, the action films. At the beginning of the movie, some innocent person gets taken advantage of, mistreated in some way, kidnapped, what, whatever. And the rest of the movie, the good guy, he might not even be a good person, but he is, he's the good guy in the movie. He is chasing down the bad guys who have wronged that innocent person. And the whole thing, you know, you're watching it. Yeah, get him, get him, get him. Kill them all. I mean, you know, it's, it's, it, we, we, we take on that because we've, we've become part of the thing. We've, we've, we're holding, that, holding on to that. They've been wronged, and so we want justice to be done. Actually, what we want is revenge. And it sells. And it permeates our society. And it also affects our trust. If you identify, if you just think about it logically, you'll, you'll, you'll pick up on it. But a lot of these films and a lot of these dramas on, on, on TV, they, they show people in authority doing bad things. And so as a result, when you watch the film, you're kind of like, Oh, man, those people are nasty. And it transfer, if you're not careful, it will transfer over to other people in authority and you'll be suspicious that everybody in authority is just, they're just, maybe behind the scenes, they're really nasty people. They do terrible things. And we start extending that into the family of God. And I just want to caution you. Don't go there. We are the body of Christ. We are different than the world. And if something happens and it wasn't right and it... Bring it to Jesus. Let him deal with it. Surrender your right to get even. Secondly, trust God to take care of them. I was driving down the highway and I'm waiting for the, the sign to start flashing with the, <laughs> the crossbones and the stop here. You know, uh, 
I'll, I'll quickly wrap it up. We were driving down the highway with a friend of mine, and I know that his daughter had been in a very, very bad marriage, divorce situation. It was, it was ugly. It was brutal. And the guy that had married his daughter turned out to be nothing that he had said he was. He was lying, deceitful, and it all came out. So years later, some, you know, a few years after this had all been exposed and the divorce had taken place, and I knew this guy really well, and my relationship with him was really strong. And so we were driving down the highway, and I said, tell me, how did you deal with your relationship? Or how did you come to the place where you could forgive? And I mentioned his name. And I was watching him. He was driving, and I saw the, the blood pressure starting to go up, and his face flushed red, and his jaw clenched, and he looked over at me, and he said, I don't have to forgive him. That's wrong. Now, I understand the sentiment. I've got three daughters. We raised three girls, and thank the Lord, nothing tragic happened to them, uh, nothing like that. But I, I honestly, I was, I was probably of a mindset that if something ever did I would start walking and finding some way to get even. Trust God that he'll take care of them. And then number three, you stop carrying it. Let go. Don't let it own you. Don't give residence to those thoughts and those emotions. Don't let them stay there. Evict them because it'll poison you. Let me close with just an illustration. There was a friend of mine. He was, he was in prayer, and God gave him a vision. He was walking along the beach, and there's seagulls flying around, and uh, kind of like that one, you know. They just, it was a beautiful scene, blue sky, sunshine, and, and soft white sand, and he's walking down. This is in his vision. He's walking along the beach, and all of a sudden, one of these seagulls just kind of swept down and released a load that smacked him right in the face. And so he's standing there just totally disgusted. And this is in his vision. He just sinks his feet into the sand. And he said, you come back here, pointing at the seagull, you come back here and you wipe this off. I'm not leaving from this spot until you come back here and clean this up. Well, and we can laugh. And, yeah, of course it's not coming back. He doesn't know or he doesn't care. One or the other or both. It's, it's not going to happen. And there have been some times where we have been offended. This friend of mine had been offended. He had been wronged. It was brutal. And God was speaking to him saying, clean it up. Go on. Move on. And so he wiped it off and he went on his way. A couple of weeks later, he was in prayer again and he had another vision. The same place, he's on the beach, he's, he's there and, and, and again, the seagulls are flying around. None of them swooped down and, and uh, he was thanking the Lord for that. And God spoke to him and says, you know, you're not nearly as effective as you used to be. He says, God, I, I don't understand. What do you mean? I, I, I cleaned it all off. He says, yeah, but... 
you're only working with one hand. And he looked down and he was still holding all of that stuff that he had wiped off. And God says, and there's sometimes, there's sometimes you want to have a pity party and so you just, oh, and you wipe it all back on. He says, wipe it off and let it go. There's someone here this morning. You've been wronged. It's, it was brutal. It was unfair. It was, it was, it, maybe it was even illegal. It, 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 was, it was so atrocious. Something happened that you're, you're still not able to get through that. And it's something that every once in a while it just comes up and the emotions are so strong. I want you to know I know exactly where you are. Uh, maybe not. I, maybe I can't associate with the, the details of the thing that wronged you. But there was a time where I was serving in district leadership, and this has been way before I was district superintendent. And I was a part of a group that was given an assignment. And then when I presented what I was asked to present, a person in the group receiving that just slandered me terribly and publicly. I remember when I was at home and I got that letter and, and it had been mass mailed to a whole bunch of people. And I, it just, oh no. And the letter was written in a way that is kind of like, and if you try to defend yourself, it'll just prove you're more guilty. And there was another guy and I that were both labeled with that same thing. And I wanted, I wanted someone to make it right. And so I went, with, went to the person who was in charge and, and he wouldn't do anything. And he knew that it was wrong, but he didn't want to make a mess. So he chose not to address it. I remember one night laying in bed, tears running down my sides of my cheeks and pooling in my ears. It was a, I was a mess. It was like three in the morning and I was saying, God, I can't live like this. I, 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 and God whispered in my ear, what do you want to see happen? And I said, God, it would be really nice if he would come to me and he would say, I'm sorry, I was wrong. Then I could let it go. And God, just as clearly as I'm talking to you now, he said, that's not going to happen. So what do you want? Which caused some anxiety and I fought with God. I said, that's not fair. I mean, this is the way it's supposed to happen. He says, yeah, I know, but it's not going to happen. So what do you want? Now it's 4, 4.30, 5 o'clock in the morning. I'm still laying there. I haven't slept any that night. And, and I, I'm, I'm desperate. I'm saying, okay, God, at least get this monkey off my back. I don't want this thing consuming me for the rest of my life. So take it away from me. And God whispered in my ear and says, then forgive him. And I wrestled again. I said, but God, he didn't ask for forgiveness. He said, it doesn't matter. Let it go. I wish I could tell you that it instantly it was gone and the peace and joy of the Lord just surrounded me and, you know, the heavens opened up and it was a ah moment, but it didn't happen that way. 
I got up the next morning and I was at a business meeting and there was that individual walking down the hallway and I, how are you doing this morning? And as I'm walking by, Jesus, I forgive. Jesus, I forgive. We went into a meeting and we were in the same meeting and, and something was mentioned about this conflict and, and it wasn't going to be resolved. And anybody have a question? Anybody, anybody have a problem? This would have been my moment to stand up and say, yeah, I've got a problem with this. And I felt the Holy Spirit just restrain me. I said, okay, I choose. My choice. I choose to forgive. I let it go. And over the years, and this has been many years ago, over the years, every once in a while it would come back up and I'd forgive, forgive again. I read of C.S. Lewis that, that he, he had a teacher that uh, treated him wrongly and he says until the day he died, he would be asking for forgiveness or giving forgiveness to that person. I choose to forgive. I choose to forgive. Today I can tell you that that person is one of my best friends. And now it's to the point where I thought about it the other day. I thought I could mention this to him and I think we could resolve it now. And it's like, no, 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 no. Because I know it would hurt him so deeply to know that it had pained me so much. It's under the blood. I choose to forgive. I let it go. I don't know where you're at, but I would pretty much guarantee that most every person in this room, as I'm talking about unforgiveness, you've had something come to your mind. And as I've been talking, maybe, maybe you've just felt it rise up and your teeth grit together and your jaw tightens. That's you then. Would you ask God for help to forgive so that you can be forgiven? Let it go. Would you stand with me? I know that in just a moment we're going to transition. We're going to have some fellowship time. But this is, this is a, these, are, these are holy grounds right now. And I know I've gone long. Please forgive me for that. Would you allow the Holy Spirit, just close yourself in with him right now. Would you allow the Holy Spirit to put his finger on that area of your life, that one, that one offense that you took? That person that wronged you so deeply. It was cruel. It was thoughtless. Maybe it was done with the intent of causing you pain. It doesn't matter. You choose now. It's your choice. It might be somebody that's even died. They're not even living anymore. Maybe they're not in the area. Maybe there's no connection anymore to your life. But you've still maintained that connection by not allowing forgiveness to flow from you to them. And I want you to respond to the Holy Spirit this morning. In just a moment, I'm going to ask you to step out from where you are.
and walk down to this altar just as, as a, a sign to God himself. I choose to forgive. I choose to let it go. As the Holy Spirit put that on your heart, as he put, it, put that in your mind, you know what you're thinking about. And would you start right now? Would you step out and come down to the altar? And we're just going to pray a prayer together, asking for the Lord's help to release all of the offense, all of the, the unforgiveness, all of the resentment, to let it go. Just step out right where you are. Come on down. We're going to meet here at the front, and we're going to pray together. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us. It's the ball's in our court. We make the choice. Others, you, you, you come. Anyone else? Thank you, Jesus. Would you pray with me right now? Lord Jesus, we, we come to you with our issues. We come into your presence and we ask for your help in being able to forgive others. We choose this morning to release that person from any obligation to make it right. We choose. If they never speak to us about this, if they never apologize, we choose today to let it go. We give up our right to, to defend ourselves in that issue. We, we give up the right to manipulate how things end up. We put it into your hands. And we ask you now just to release us from the burden of carrying this. That it wouldn't be something that occupies our minds, our hearts. In Jesus' name, we give it to you. Thank you, Jesus. And Lord, we receive your peace. We receive your forgiveness. We've cleared that out. We, we're not holding that as, as unforgiveness anymore. We release it now and we receive from you forgiveness for us. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus.